Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. This week's episode is called Holy and Whole. Today, we celebrate and explore how God's boundless diversity is in the body of each person. We're going to examine the belovedness of the disabled community, all the gifts they bring to the table, and how we can be proactive in making sure that all can get to the table. Today, I am so happy to welcome Pastor Sarah Mayer-Flatt to All Places Together. Sarah is a graduate of the Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary and has served congregations in two different places in Michigan and Nebraska as well. Sarah has also been an important leader in and around the table, which is a pre-event for the ELCA's youth gathering. And folks who come to the table are people who have disabilities, at least one of their adult companions, and then sometimes a friend as well. Sarah served as the team leader for The Table in 2015 and 2018. Sarah also has done some consultation work with congregations who are seeking to become more accessible. She is married to Randy, and they have two cats and a dog that keep them busy and entertained. And one of her newest hobbies is becoming uh, the master of her cricket machine, and she has even graduated to doing multiple colors, which is really quite impressive. So welcome to All Places Together, Sarah. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks, Colleen. It's really great to be here with you today. All right. So my first question is this. Is disabled a dirty word? Yeah, um, it's funny because you think about it and you're like, well, what could be dirty about a descriptive word like disabled, right? Uh, it's kind yeah. of a medical language type of form. And so I think for most people who live with disabilities, uh, they would tell you that disabled is simply a descriptor of who they are, but it becomes problematic if it's the only descriptor. So if it's the only way that uh, you're identifying who someone is, instead of saying Pastor Sarah lives with a disability to just say Pastor Sarah is disabled, to me that takes it to a level where the disability suddenly has the power and not the ability to live within a different sort of social construct that we're calling ability in this life here and now. That makes sense. And like from that too, you begin to point out the importance of language um, and how we want to be able to focus on the person and not necessarily um, the disability itself. Um, So I wonder, like you have experience um, in your own life and then also in your wider work with the community as a whole, what are some preferred words or better ways about talking about people or groups of people who are affected by various disabilities? And of course, I know you're not an expert, like you can't speak for everyone, but what would you kind of share as an introduction for us? Yeah, so um, it's actually fun you mentioned that because there is kind of a joke within the disability communities. I I think that, you know, if 
if I'm a person with a disability, well, then obviously I'm going to know your great aunt Cheryl, who might also <laughs> live with um, a disability. Yikes. And yeah, that's absurd, right? But yes. um, but it's happened on more than one occasion in my life. So anyway, what I think the most important thing, um, because it's really easy to get caught up in our words, but our words also really matter, right? And so it's just as important to acknowledge who the person is first and foremost. So again, just to use myself as an example, I am a full-time wheelchair user, and that is kind of how I describe myself. Um, so I, when I, when I break that down, what that means is that I am not able to move or have mobility, um, in my life without a wheelchair, right? That that's what the full time implies that I don't have the ability to stand for short periods of time or to climb stairs or anything like that. Um, but the other point is that I'm, I'm not bound to that wheelchair. I'm not wheelchair bound. We often hear that word bound with disabilities a lot. Someone might be homebound or... Ooh, that's um, a word we use all the time in the church, like the homebound members. Yeah. We do, and it drives me crazy. Um, (laughs) But uh, just that that sense of being bound to something gives all of a sudden this inanimate object, like a wheelchair or a home, um, it gives so much power to that as a... And it therefore takes power away from the person who is still living, who is still breathing and functioning and contributing to the world around them um, by the work that God's doing in their life in a lot of different ways. Um, So person first, always first and foremost. Um, So again, I, it's always best to just use a person's name and um, their the way that they choose to be identified. Um, I think it's always best to ask because again, like you said, I'm not the expert on all disabilities everywhere. And some people might prefer um, more aggressive or passive language than others, but uh, at least in the culture and the society right now, um, putting the person before whatever the description of their disability is, um, is the safest and I think the most genuine way to acknowledge someone um, and in their whole part and as opposed to just pieces of them. And that's a theme that we've been learning, I think, in, in the various number of the conversations that we have is that the name comes first. When we look at God's boundless diversity, like the name comes first and then these various parts of our identity, um, because someone can have multiple identities and like multiple things going on with them when we look at intersections and that type of thing as well. And that they're a whole person of which these are, are parts of them. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important things about people-centered language or person-first language um, is that it's a useful tool uh, to have as a way to talk about individuals, as a way to just um, talk about humanity in this day and age. Because like you've said, right, we're all made of so many different pieces and parts. And so to give just one descriptive word, in this case, disabled 
that's not enough, right? And yeah. because uh, additionally, one person's disability is not going to be the same as the next person's. And some may even acknowledge or see their disabilities as gifts or things for which they can be grateful, depending on depending on that. So again, um, people people first language and to to ask preferences, I think is probably the safest, the politest, and um, certainly the most inclusive way to be talking about this. Thank you for sharing that. And I wonder too, continuing in this in this journey of of hearing a person's story and coming to understand that on a deeper level, I was wondering if you would be willing to share some of your story about what it was like growing up with a disability and then also as a pastor's kid, if I understand correctly. Yeah, I had two strikes against me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, I did. I um, was paralyzed when I was a very young girl. I was four. And so in a lot of ways, living with a disability is the only life I, I've known how to live. And so that, I think, dramatically impacted the way I grew up. My parents did not have to figure out how to take their bright and precocious and sassy young daughter and figure out how to uh, transition her from from one way of learning to the next. They simply had to push for me to be integrated um, in all of my schooling. I was never in a specialized um, class or program. I did um, have aids in in schools at different times of my life. Um, but for the most part, my parents and family made sure, hell or high water, that I was going to be included in all of the ways that I could be. And what that sometimes meant, um, unfortunately, was having to sit some things out because it was up to us to to do that teaching of what inclusion looks like. And that if one person isn't welcome, then you might be missing out on an entire family or an entire community of folks. I can remember really distinctly when we, when my dad began his call at a church right about when I was in middle school. And um, there was a a terrifying lift, but it was a lift that was out. It was terrifying because it was outside and it was, um, we lived in Michigan and, and you always just prayed to God it didn't freeze, you know, on Sunday morning as you're like going into the sanctuary. Okay. The problem was that then all of the other activities from Sunday school to Lenten dinners and um, all sorts of things happened in the the basement of the church at that point, which the lift did not go to. And oh. so um, for the first couple of years, uh, we as a family, my dad being the pastor included, um, would not participate in those kinds of events because, because I couldn't get there, you know, safely. Um, and neither could anyone else in our congregation who was living with a physical disability at the time. Um, I will tell you that pretty quickly that church, um, put together a building, uh, campaign and, um, redid the structure of the building and it's now a completely accessible four different stories oh, kind wow. of um basement sub basements 
uh, Narthex, and then um, Sanctuary, all accessible in a variety of different ways. But that took a lot of time and a lot of commitment and a lot of financial resources to make that happen. That was kind of just one of those distinct memories of needing to be both a participant and a teacher at the same time, which I think is something that many folks who who live with with an identity that is outside of whatever it is that our culture has deemed as normal, which seems to be white, hetero, cisgender, fully abled, and uh, financially sound, maybe I should say, like maybe not stable, but um, sound enough. Yeah, um, yeah. I get what you mean there. Yeah. And if you live outside of those things, you're often teaching as you're figuring it out yourself, too, which I think is um, an important piece of advocacy work that not everybody always thinks about. I mean, I remember my own middle school years and just feeling so uncomfortable in my skin and all of those things like and church was a safe place. Um, And we're recording this on Shrove Tuesday, which in many Lutheran churches means a pancake supper. So like I've been, I've been, I mean, as you're talking about the church basement and fellowship, it's like, yeah, like that's where we ate our pancakes. Like that's where I would be heading, you know, Sure. however many years ago. And that that's, it's really, it's a very different experience and it's not the way that God wants it to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, I think part of it too was being in such a form of uncomfortable waiting um, as an individual and as a family unit and even as a church community, right? I think that that also made the celebration of the building becoming a physically, the building also becoming a safe space uh, and not just the community being a safe space, but but that there was a, a blend between those two, I think in some ways that that made it even sweeter, right? That we were able to kind of go through that wilderness together and and even make confessions to one another and admit that, that a building that was built in the 1950s was not thinking about people that were excluded from the community and from the world at that point. So then to be able to celebrate and go to those pancake dinners and those fellowship opportunities and to be a Sunday school teacher and, and all of those things that I was able to then eventually experience um, and offer back to the community of faith that was forming me were absolutely glimpses of the kingdom of God on this earth, you know? Yes. Yes. And I think too, you share two really important things in those last few sentences, like both your participation and just sitting at the table and eating together, like that is important and is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And also you being able to share your other gifts of teaching. I mean, you eventually became a pastor, like you have clear gifts for ministry, you know, that I'm sure were bubbling up and growing in your middle school years and your high school years. And and the lack of accessibility prevented you from being able to share those gifts. And so you get the missing out of of you being one at the table and it's a more full, happy table when we're all there together. And then also the missing out of the sharing of your gifts. 
Yeah. And I, um, I think the, the really hard part about all of this still is that my story is not a unique one or perhaps let me say that again. My story is unique because as the person with a disability and also the pastor's kid, I wasn't ever a fringe member or, or someone kind of new and just testing the waters of this community. I became a part of the community without the community being ready for me. And oftentimes congregations will say, well, we don't need to become accessible or we don't need to change things because we don't have anyone with a disability within our midst. And my response to that is always, well, after the the boomer generation, persons with disabilities is the next largest growing group of individuals in this country, because as we age, it is natural for our bodies to become less able than they were at at younger years, right? And so to think of all of those gifts and opportunities for ministry to both give and receive that's missing out simply because a congregation refuses to put in the work to make themselves welcoming and inclusive and always for all people, that's heartbreaking to me. And that, again, is an instance of where that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God is when when places get creative and continue to invite and and do it even acknowledging that they're not perfect or ready yet, but they're willing to work on getting there. Yeah, because I think people know how to research things on the internet. And so people with any number of different disabilities are going to be able to look at a church website. And my guess is like, no, whether or not like this is going to be a place that they're even maybe willing to try to engage with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's not just about um, pew cutouts and buttons to help open doors, though those certainly help. It's it's a variety of things and spaces, right? It's um it's acknowledging that there are people within our midst whose neurological systems are perhaps wired differently and they will experience worship and and fellowship differently than than you might, but that doesn't make it less in any way. It it's just different. And to be not just welcoming, but inviting of that kind of difference um, is so important. And and to recognize that for, for many individuals who live with the disability, it's not actually an individual thing. It's a family unit. That means that there's multiple places for care and ministry and and growth and relationships to be formed. But again, that those are those are all unique and different depending exactly on the person depending on how God has created that individual to be. And, you know, it's easy for us to recognize the simple gifts or the the easy gifts in, again, that quote unquote normal or norm section, if you will. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be looking harder and deeper into the lives of those who express those gifts differently. So I imagine your experience 
in middle school that you had of entering a church building that was not accessible for you, that that was not the last time that you have had that experience. And I'm, and I'm willing to take the risk to say that I'm, I'm guessing the churches that you served were maybe not entirely equipped uh, for you when you got there. So like, what has that been like as a pastor called to a community whose building is not fully accessible? And have there been joys and challenges in those journeys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I laugh a little. I laughed a little as you were introduced, introducing that question because I can remember, you know, as I was sitting down with my field education professor in seminary and we were talking about possible internship sites and the first question he asked me was well what does an accessible sanctuary look like for you and i looked back at him and i said i have no idea i need you to find one for me to to experience mm. and you know at that point i was in my uh young to mid 20s and was well on my way to becoming a pastor. And like you have said, I had not yet entered a worship space that was accessible for the leader to be the one with the disability, right? Um, And so that certainly um, has looked different in all of the congregations I've served. So my first call, uh, within about five to 10 years before I started there, had actually connected their sanctuary part of their building with their fellowship hall. Those were two separate buildings and they ended up connecting them and put in kind of an office area as well as um, some new bathrooms um, and some storage space. And coincidentally, wouldn't you know, um, a lift much like the one um, I experienced in my middle school days, um, but it was on the inside of the church building. Solid. That seems better. Just less noisy, if nothing else. Oh, um, less noisy. Okay. Yeah. But was also um, used by multiple members of that congregation every Sunday. Uh, so if I wasn't up that lift, by about 10 minutes to when worship needed to start, I was going to be late to worship. We we kind of sat in the midst of wondering how we were going to make a very old Gothic style sanctuary space with uh, a long place for, for many pews to go. And then um, the chancel was direct three steps straight up with what was an old style of having the altar pushed back against the back wall. So all of these things that really were complicated and difficult for me. Um, And quite frankly, it was near impossible for everyone to see me when I was preaching if I was still on the main floor. But we sat with that discomfort together for about six months before putting together a game plan with a congregation we were blessed to have an architect and within it, and he was able to help design a ramp that was perhaps not quite to what we would call code, the ADA code of how um, steep a ramp could or couldn't be. But it worked within the space and it worked specifically for my needs. 
and we purchased a new a new altar, a new table, and called claimed it as our new altar. And we were then able, again, as I've said, to celebrate that together and had a, a worship service that kind of acknowledged that new space. Because for many people uh, in that congregation, putting a ramp and changing the altar up front meant that the sanctuary space, this holy space that they had been been sitting and looking at and praying at the foot of and receiving God's gift of grace in communion every Sunday, that was changing for them. And that was huge, right? For that visual to, to be very different. So that was my experience with one congregation. Both of the other congregations that I have been called to actually had newer sanctuaries. And so there were already things like ramps in place on the sides for me to enter and exit. And so, and, and the buildings themselves, the church buildings themselves were not nearly as overwhelming as they could have been, or as they clearly are in other places. And I think that's been an interesting joy that I've discovered of realizing that there are places that have put some thought into this, you know, before I got there, as if I was the only one who could save the church from its exclusionary ways, if you will. Um, Instead, it was just really able to say, see, look at what that forethought was able to just bring together, right? Look at how the way the spirit was working in your architect's plans 10 years ago is now bringing all of us together. And being able to model that for our folks has been really powerful at times. I love that God at work in the architect plans. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So we've talked about God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, you know, throughout this conversation. Um, but probably more so than some of our other boundless diversity focus is like Jesus says a lot about well, healing people, um, not necessarily about some of the mechanics of why people may be experiencing what they're experiencing. But Jesus heals all kinds of people in the Bible, people who are blind, deaf, mute, can't walk, have a disease, like have leprosy, probably have things that we don't even know about. And it's one of the major marks of his ministry. And it's one of the ways that people come to see Jesus as the son of God and like believe that he is who he eventually says that he is. He doesn't always claim being the son of God early in all the gospels, but that's a conversation for another day. Yes, it is. But in all of these cases, there's both like the physical healing and then also a restoration to the community. I was wondering if you can unpack that for us some. I would love to. Yeah. So I firmly believe that that disability is a social construct. And what I mean by that, and what this will in a moment have to do with the Bible, specifically Jesus and the many healing stories that we encounter in scripture, is that if it weren't for the way that society was currently set up, living with the disability might not actually be strange or different or hard or even considered a bad thing, right? If if sidewalks just naturally all had 
cutouts on them. And if all books were written with ink and also in Braille, and if um, every piece of media always had picture descriptions and subtitles, right? I could go on and on about all of the things that we in a society could do differently to make disability less of an individual burden and more of a communal solution. And so I have come to this understanding of disability and being a social construct really through my understanding of scripture and and looking at the ways in which Jesus uh, is interacting with and is healing and forgiving individuals um, throughout his ministry. Because Jesus is always healing individuals, not for their sake and not for his sake, but so that the community that that individual has been very loosely a part of, um, and I, I say very loosely because oftentimes what we seem to know about individuals with disabilities back in ancient days um, is that they were beggars and they were um, often abandoned by their family and their their friends and the rest of their community. And they had no means or ways of being productive or being um, able to offer the gifts that they had. And Jesus, by restoring their health, is doing much more than restoring their health. He's restoring their wholeness by by enabling them to go back and enter into that community, by enabling them to, to say, you don't have to look beyond the thing that has separated me from you anymore. You just have to see who I am and how I have been created. And God, I, I think that all of the healing stories in one way or another point us back to the way that God has created each of us um, as good and holy. That's W-H-O. Um, and good distinction. Holy, yeah. H-O-L, <laughs> right? As good and holy and holy goodness, right? And that's um, who and how God creates us to be. And Jesus, by being able to heal individuals, or rather Jesus by healing individuals, is able to restore an entire community. Um, And I think that that is a helpful way to unpack some of those healing stories, because many individuals in quote-unquote modern times are not necessarily looking to be healed, as others were. I mean, I find that kind of conversation and talk incredibly unhelpful and even hurtful personally. But I feel that way because I am able to be within a faith-based community. I've had the joy of being in many faith-based communities um, that have seen me as a whole and holy person, not one that needed to be restored any more than the next person anyway. And I think that is the hope of the kingdom of God and what the body of Christ is, is that we come as we are with all of the different things that make us make us who we are, all of our different identities and things about us. 
and that we find grace and acceptance and a way to share with one another and be with one another, and that the body of Christ is both holies, is more holy and more holy when we are all there together, and that that is the hope of the kingdom of God. So do you have a particular favorite healing story um, from Jesus in the Bible? You know, I think I've had a variety of them over time, but. um, Oh, I love that. That's really interesting. Like, of course, it changes with time. Yeah. Tell us more. Different ones have made me celebrate and different ones have made me um, scream in anger at different times. But one that I always that I always return to and one that's been particularly special to me lately is found in Mark chapter two, uh, just beginning at the first verse. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And at once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic then, I say to you, stand up, take your mat and go home. And the man stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I think um, we've all heard a sermon on how faithful those friends are right? And how God always puts the right friends in our lives. And while that is true, I think that's kind of a bullshit way to interpret the story. Because really, what those friends are doing are, they are those four individuals who were so concerned about the whole being of this man with paralysis, this man who could not walk, could perhaps not sit or or move at all we don't know but they saw him as such a whole and holy person that they dug through a roof to get this man before Jesus and if that isn't a, a testament to what true deconstruction of the idea of disability is and if that isn't a true and whole picture of what uh, the power of community, the power of the kingdom of God can look like. I don't, I don't know that, that there is a more descriptive story and scripture for me to describe that. You know, as someone who has spent a remarkable amount of time in bed these last number of months personally, 
I have had friends and members of many different faith communities put me down through a roof to, to meet Jesus and all of this. I hear so much in what you are sharing there, the idea of people digging through the roof for you and the, and the layers that come with the word deconstruction. Like that's a word I think in, in many Christian circles, like we're talking about like deconstructing our understandings of the Bible or patriarchy or heteronormativeness, you know, all of these things like we're deconstructing. And I think around ability too, right? Like we're, trying to come to understand God in the world in a more whole and holy way. I love that. But then also like the literal deconstruction of the roof, like, and like Jesus is not worried about the property, right? Like he says nothing about this. Like it's going to be taken care of later by someone else who has those skill skill set. And so like, that literal deconstruction and and hearing in your conversation, in this conversation that you've shared about the deconstruction and reconstruction that has happened in sanctuaries for elevators and, and lifts to come in that like, that's fine. Like, and you named it so beautifully, like the morning that can happen when things, when we get used to things a certain way, you know, like there can be some grief around that. It's going to look different, but that through the deconstruction and reconstruction, you know, something more beautiful, more inclusive, more accessible, more like the kingdom of God, like comes to birth. Again, like that's, I think that's just like what the hope of what God has for us in, in life, in this life and the next. Right. I, sometimes you, you just, have to break down the object itself that's and you you have to do that and you have to do that for the sake of the community not for the sake of the property taxes or for the sanctity of you know what has always been you'll never see a new way forward if you're not willing to put some holes in some walls and look up once in a while Mm. i love that And I know that our conversation today, I think, has helped shine light for me in my understanding both of Scripture and what it looks like to celebrate people as whole and holy people. So I just I thank you for that, Sarah, for coming and being a part of All Places Together and sharing your story with us and your vulnerabilities with us. It has it has been a blessing. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a joy and an honor to be a part of this, to add my voice to the collection of voices that All Places Together is bearing witness to. That's important. Thank you. for holiness and wholeness. Jesus, your words and hands healed many and restored communities. 
at a time when those who are paralyzed, deaf, or blind were sent to the margins, you cared for them, treated them with dignity, loved them, and knew they were holy. You show us today that the kingdom of God is whole when we are all there together. Open our hearts to understand the ways that our society and communities still treat those with a disability in undignified ways. May we use our words and hands to deconstruct the literal barriers that keep us apart, as well as the systemic structures that marginalize. Remind us that our bodies and all bodies are beautiful and holy, however they work. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. I have an exciting announcement to make. In addition to being a podcast, All Places Together is also a new mission church. All Places Together is affiliated with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America and specifically with Virginia. Now, while All Places Together is seeking to share faith and be church in a very different way, we still do some of the traditional church things, like have an official roster of members for voting purposes and within the structure of APT and then also our regional and national church structures. And my special announcement is that All Places Together has officially welcomed Joanne and David as our first members. Welcome. I am so grateful for your desire to grow in Christ together and for your desire to be a part of a reconciling in Christ community. If you're curious about what it means to be a member at All Places Together or you're interested in becoming a member, send me an email at allplacestogether at gmail.com. That's A-L-L-P-L-A-C-E-S-T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R at gmail.com. And everyone, please know that you are always welcome to listen and join in the conversations that we have on social media platforms without becoming a member. Like that is not something that's necessary to belong here at All Places Together to be a part of what we are doing. Membership is just a way for folks who want a more formal and intentional relationship and for folks who are interested in participating in the structure of church when we get that far along. If you would like to share a contribution to help All Places Together grow this year, you can give financially through our website. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Thanks to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America and people like you who have shared gifts. We know it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life and engage with the APT community throughout the week. I get so excited for every comment or share on social media, as well as the reviews that are shared on Apple Podcasts. So if you're a listener on Apple Podcasts, I invite you to share a sentence or two about what all places together means to you in a review. This helps new listeners find us and know what we're about as a community and as a podcast. 
Until next time, remember that God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.